Canucks Central Thursday. It's Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah here in the Kintec studio. Canucks Central is for Enzyme Pacific, Vancouver's premier Chrysler, Dodge, Ram, and Jeep Superstore on 2nd Avenue between Canby and Maine or at EnzymePacificChrysler.ca. 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. If you want to get in on the conversation, you have a question, comment, or otherwise, you can let us know. 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. It is a Canucks game day. They've got the Boston Bruins on tap, an angry Bruins team on tap after they lost 4-1 to the Calgary Flames and their coach. Uh, called them out a little bit, Jim Montgomery, Ooh, Sandy. They didn't love their performance oh, on Tuesday. Spooky, spooky Bruins. So this yes. is uh, the uh, squeaky wheel gets the grease situation for uh, Jim Montgomery. He calls out his team. He's going to get uh, a hell of a performance tonight. But what? But a better challenge, right? I yes. mean, hey, we keep looking at this team and and looking at them and, and wondering how they handle different challenges. Well, here's a here's a big challenge, and uh, should be a good one. We'll get into the pregame coming up after three o'clock. Uh, but a couple of things on the docket for today. Now, the elephant in the room, because it seems like there's a new rumor around the Vancouver Canucks <laughs> almost every single day, even though we keep saying. You know, they're probably going to cool their jets just a little bit after making the Lindholm deal last week. Maybe they will exercise some patience, but I guess there is an element of this front office does not know patience. So uh, today, the rumor being a uh, couple of them, actually, uh, Phil Kessel, somebody the Canucks are continuing to check in on. He's an unrestricted free agent, has not signed with the team this year. And the other one, more surprising and we're going to talk to Dave Pinota about this a little bit further. Rasmus Ristolainen, uh, the Canucks connected with out of the Philadelphia Flyers. And I guess I shouldn't be surprised that Patrick Alvin is making his calls and doing his check-ins on who might mm-hmm. be available around the league because that just seems to be his M.O. sat. But Rasmus Ristolainen, other than the size... Uh, this is one where I'm kind of curious as to what the fit might even be and why the Canucks are being connected to this player. Yeah, and I mean, um, and I, I don't really know Anthony DeMarco. I'm not yes. saying he's not credible. I've seen his name stuff pop up before. Like, he covers the Flyers, right? Yes. So, I mean, sure. Um, I just don't know how it fits. Well, the money is the the... Big thing. I mean, we talk about this even with Chris Tanev, right? Uh, he's making 5.1 on the salary cap. That's what Ristolainen is, is set to be paid. So, again, it's one of those things where, like, Canucks aren't getting this player unless they move something out. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess if you moved out Zadorov, then you could bring Ristolainen right. in. You know, that, that's sort of the, the wheels moving in your head. Like, how could this even work? He is signed beyond this year. Maybe they would view him as a Tyler Myers replacement. I'm not sure. But... I will say this about Ristolainen. He's having a better season than he had in the past. He's still a player that I am not over the moon about. and He's, wouldn't... Play- he's, he's better because he's playing 16 minutes a game. Exactly. So that's one of those things where I just don't see the fit. I see the rumor. I don't see the fit. That's all I wanted to say off the top of the show. Yeah, he, He's a righty defenseman. Um, I guess if they think they can figure it out with him. Yeah. 
And I mean, uh, Rutherford has shown in the past that they've looked at defensemen others have kind of discarded, and they brought them in and turned them into players. So maybe they see something that could work in Vancouver. Yeah. Right? But it's expensive. Yeah. I, I just don't. I, I personally don't see it. I'd yeah. be surprised. Flyers would have to retain, I would imagine. Uh, he's got four years or three years left beyond this one at uh, 5.1 on the salary. Cap. Well, if, he's, if they're retaining significantly. Yeah. Then, okay, that changes the equation. If you get him at, say, 2.6. Yeah. Or even close to three, it's like okay, all right, yeah, three and a half. You know, maybe that's a little mm. bit more palatable. But yeah. even still, it's a three. Yeah. Like we're talking about a third pair defenseman, a, three a guy who needs third pair minutes to excel. Yeah. So, um, interesting one. But just uh, wanted to throw that out there off the top of the show, given uh, the discourse uh, of <laughs> the rumor mill for today. I'd rather keep Myers at two more years, three million per season. Yeah. Than. Do Ristolainen at, at three more years. I'm still more inclined to add a forward to this team before a defenseman. Yeah, I mean, yes. Yeah. Sure. But in, in terms of how I would build the defense out, I'd, I'd just rather do that than bring... If you're looking at Ristolainen long-term, I'd just bring Myers back for a couple yeah. years instead <laughs> at, 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 at half the cost of what you're paying. Him. Yeah. Make a if run, that, make a run the, at Chris Tanev in, in free agency. I mean, if, if these are your options, then I'd rather do that, you know? But getting righty defensemen is very difficult. Uh, it is uh, one thing to note. Canucks just continue to check in on everybody because that's yeah. uh, that's that's what they do, the Vancouver Canucks front office. So the big trade they did make, Elias Lindholm, uh, Rick Tockett sing, continues to sing his praises as uh, he spoke earlier today after the morning skate for the Vancouver Canucks. And I'm not surprised in the slightest at how well he's fit. It's only been one game, yes, but he's a good player, 200-foot player. I expect the fit will continue to look pretty good for the Vancouver Canucks with Elias Lindholm. One thing we've been talking about all season long is just how good is this Canucks forward group and how does it stack up against other teams, certainly in the Western Conference, potentially around the league. But now that you add Lindholm to this group, it feels as though the Canucks are maybe on a short list of the best and deepest forward groups in the Western Conference. I, without a question. Yeah. They're absolutely one of the best forward groups in the, in, in the Western Conference. I mean, they're top five. Yeah. You know, how, how do you want to rank them compared to, say, Vegas, Colorado, even uh, Edmonton? Mm-hmm. with the way they've been going. Dallas is a team that has a lot of forward depth. Even the LA Kings with their struggles, they have yep. a good forward group. But to me, they're top five. Edmonton and Colorado, for me, like they, they don't have the depth, but, I mean, who isn't taking the high end of those rosters, right? Like Nathan McKinnon is playing like a Hart Trophy candidate this mm-hmm. year. He will be a Hart Trophy candidate, might win the Hart Trophy this year, Nathan McKinnon. Connor McDavid is Connor McDavid. They also have Leon Dreisaitl, of course, in Edmonton. Zach Hyman's having a a career season. So they go three guys deep that are all pretty damn good. But where the Canucks value is compared to both Edmonton and Colorado for me is in their depth. Like I'm taking the Canucks third line over all of these teams, especially with the way Bluger, Joshua, and Garland has played. Obviously, Edmonton's high end is the highest end. Yes. Because they have Dry Saddle and McDavid. 
Canucks have better third and fourth lines than those teams do, than that team does. And even c- compared to Colorado, they have a better third and fourth line than Colorado has. But Nathan McKinnon and <laughs> Mikko Rantanen are just something else. Yeah. So that's where the difference is. As good as Patterson is, as good as Lindholm and JT Miller are, they're not quite at that level. Not yet, at least, right? So that's where they have the edge. The Canucks have the edge in terms of depth. So we can sit here and rank them, put them second, third, fourth, fifth, if you want to be tough on them, say six, because you have five you know, other forward groups ahead of them. They're not out of place battling against those other forward groups. Yeah. That's where I come out looking at it. It's like, okay, well, the Canucks, they defend, as we mentioned on the show yesterday, better, as good or better than pretty much any team in the NHL right now. We spoke to Kevin Woodley. You can classify them as an elite team defensively. Yeah. So that's their real calling card, their team play, and, and how they can really perform. But their forward group, getting Lindholm now, and we've gone over the matchup advantage you have now and all the different things you can do and how JT Miller can now be deployed differently. All those things tell you that if you go head-to-head against these other other forward groups, even if you think those forward groups are better, the Canucks can and should hold their own. Yeah. They have an opportunity to have, you know, four lines that they really trust. I think maybe Vegas and Dallas are the two teams that have that kind of depth where they can roll all four lines and really Mm -hmm. be comfortable with it, especially Vegas. I mean, we saw them do that through the playoffs. Canucks are are close to that. I think if they add one more forward, now you're looking at a team that can, without without a doubt, really trust all four lines, right? You we talked about this a little bit yesterday. You bump Suter down to the fourth line, and now all of a sudden you got the makings of a really good looking forward group. You know, uh, Vegas last year they they made the move for for Ivan Barbashev, and he ended up being a perfect fit. Mm-hmm. I think of. Um, Arturi Lekkinen when Colorado signed yeah. that and got that player in the, at the deadline and, and their cup-winning cup season. As good as Lindholm is and how much he adds to the top six, I think that's sort of the Lekkinen or Barbashev type would be the, the luxury piece that could really put the Canucks forward group over the top. I mean, you really would have no holes in terms yeah. of legitimate top six caliber players in your top six. Because yeah. right now it's like Suter, we know, is best in a, in a third line role, being able to play up and down your lineup. He's doing really well right now. Yeah, it's more about the longevity of can you keep that going for thirty games into the playoffs for an extended period and against really fast teams. Do you have enough pace on the wings with him and Besser? Yeah, that's the one thing I, I don't love about the makeup of that okay. line. Guys like Barbashev, like they're heavy, they're fast, they get in hard on the forecheck. Like that, they, they just don't especially with Mikheyev still not having that at all times, it seems like. That's the one player type this this group really feels like they miss is that buzzsaw forward that works hard on the forecheck, is heavy, and is just annoying to play against because he takes away time and space at such a good degree like Ivan Barbashev would. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's... You know, that's that's where Vegas, especially when they are fully healthy, that's where that's one of the things that separates them from everybody else is how they have so many of these great four checkers that allow them to play the way they want to play. Yeah. And if you add one more four checker with speed to this lineup, the Canucks aren't the fastest team. Actually, when you look at their actual pace numbers compared to other teams around the league, they're one of the 
slowest teams in actual pace, but they can play fast and, and they can suffocate with how they play defense and everything. So it looks a lot quicker than it actually is. You add some real pace up front, then if you get into one of those real heavy, fast, and furious games against the Vegas Golden Knights and the Colorado Avalanche, you can hold your own. You're not just relying on, hey, your defense and your goaltending to bail you and, and you getting you know some perhaps um, – sitting on the counter a little bit more, which it's fun. You can win doing that too against teams like that. But can you dictate a bit more? And I actually think getting Lindholm already puts you in the discussion that you can do it. It's yeah. more about if you had another guy, then if you sit here and make the argument that they have the second best or the best forward group, then you can make a good argument for it. Whether somebody agrees with you or not, like you have some evidence behind you if you can add another top six forward to this group. There's a... Uh... As I said uh, off the hop of this conversation, they are probably on the – well, not probably. They are on the short list of the best forward groups in the Western Conference. Uh, one text saying, we're really ranking Rantanen ahead of every other Canuck player. Wow, woof. Um, it was more the high end of Colorado with McKinnon and Rantanen. It's still something – Especially with the way McKinnon's played. Well, that's the thing. It's that, more, yeah. It's about that combo and how they can dominate, yeah. a, as a duo. And um, last time I checked, there's no Canuck player that has had 55 goals in yeah. a season on the on the current roster. And, so. it, and it's not to say the Canucks are that far behind. The, it, it, that's not the point of the conversation. No, if you want to be fair about it, I mean, yeah, Nathan McKinnon might be the second best forward in the National Hockey yes. League. You know, and and on some days, maybe is the best player in the National Hockey League. I mean, that, that's just how good Nathan McKinnon is. But the reason the Canucks are where they're at is because their top end guys have taken that step. Yeah. You know, JT has become far more dependable as a two way player, and now he belongs as a in the discussion amongst some of the best impact players in the in, in the NHL. Elias Pettersson, I know there's been some criticism about his play up and down, but we know when he gets going, he dominates as well as anybody. And that's the main reason why, in addition to how Thatcher Demko is playing. But especially Quinn Hughes, where Quinn Hughes right now, he's not that far away from, from Kiel McCarr. Before you said, okay, McCarr has a bit more explosiveness to mm-hmm. his game. He has a bit more power to how he plays. And that's still true. He's a bit bigger than, than, uh, than uh, Hughes, of course. Not a lot, but he can play a bit harder, I think, overall with his game. But I think the pace stuff, Quinn is more than caught up at this point. Yeah, Quinn's uh, the pace that he does play with. There's more power, I think, in, in McCarr's stride. Yeah. But there's just the way Quinn is so elusive. And he does have, he has added a little bit more quickness. Plus, now he's added the shot. There's a ton of things that Hughes has done to close the gap on McCarr that just wasn't there before. I will say, uh, as, as good as Hughes has been, McCarr is still better points per game this season with 46, uh, sorry, with 60 points in, in 46 games. Hughes with 64 points in 50 games. It's not a big difference, but McCarr still slightly ahead in the points per game category. Go ahead. But I just think what Quinn does on some days, he plays as the best player in the league. Sometimes. It's, he plays at the level of the best defenseman in the NHL. 100%. There's there's no denying that. It's kind of like what you re- referenced with um, with McKinnon, where there's some days where he is the best yeah. player in the league. Most days it's Connor McDavid, but right. there are some days where it's it, it can be it can be Nathan McKinnon, and Quinn Hughes has, has done that. It's a two-horse race for the Norris, and Quinn Hughes is right now the absolute favorite for that. Did you read my IMAX piece on Quinn Hughes? Great piece great piece on the leadership and 
how he's become a captain and how he's excelled as a captain in his first year as captain. Mm -hmm. It's sort of the underlying conversation storyline around Quinn Hughes. Hey, he's having this incredible season. Oh, it just so happens to be the year that he's put the C on his jersey. But there has been absolutely... It's been a seamless transition for him. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that he's had to do so much more, and he even mentions this in the piece, like uh, maybe I talk to the media a bit more often, uh, and, and he claims that it's it's not a whole lot different, but you listen to some of the teammates, and he speaks more, there's a bigger presence there, and he's just a leader on and off the ice, and one of the things that they've asked him to do is reset the standards, and it feels as though the standards have been reset in Vancouver with Quinn Hughes as captain. Yeah, and I mean, he, as a captain, he obviously bears a lot of responsibility for that in a, in a in a big positive way. It's also a big collective effort too. And we, you mentioned, you know, the guys that spoke highly of Quinn Hughes in that article included Ian Cole, included veterans like Tyler Myers who've been here before too. And Ian I do, Cole, best quote on the team. Yeah, Still, I mean, he's, not even not even a much of a, a conversation. No, there. I, and there are like some really good talkers on this team. All of a sudden, like there are some guys that like you get JT on a good day, you can have a great conversation. Like we had a, some good discussions with them at Dyson Ice. Uh, a couple of weeks back, and they're still on the podcast if you missed them, and, and the guys are in a relaxed setting and, and a lot of good discussions. But what it, sh what it shows is everyone's bought in. Mm -hmm. And if your leaders can also facilitate that, they become an extension of your coaching staff. But it takes the type of leaders that can bridge that gap. The Sedins used to do this in the past, right? Trevor in the past when he he was here, right? When when the team when this team was at its best, they had leaders that could be an extension of the head coach, but also demand the respect of their players, not be seen as like, oh yeah, yeah, he's just trying to repeat what the coach is saying, yeah. you know. And there's this kind of real contagiousness about how this team is operating right now. Each guy's feeding off each other, mm -hmm. and I know Taka today mentioned how JT keeps you know keeps reiterating to the guys we got to focus on today we got to earn our day that, that's the team's mantra and when we spoke to the guys a few weeks back they all said the same thing like it, it kind of sounded like we were joking it sounds like a cult a little bit they're, they're like <laughs> all saying the same thing and, and singing from the same same hymn book and but it's in a positive way right well, this team's been really trying for a lot of years to all get on the same page in that way yeah and and quinn spoke about how they've had a lot of bad years here and when, you, when you've been in a lot of bad situations, you know what bad looks like? Mm -hmm. If you don't want to be there anymore, now you know what it takes. Yeah. And when you get a taste of, okay, this is success, then you just want to keep reinforcing those things. But I do think Quinn being really comfortable in his own skin and being a player that works as hard as he does, he's the best player on the team, maybe, and he's the hardest working guy on yeah. the team in terms of working on his game. And he's always mentioned as being a, a rink rat. He's always like geeking out about the game, trying to improve, trying to be better. When a guy like that, who puts in that amount of time and is as good as he is, is demanding something from you, you kind of have to follow along, don't yeah. you? It's kind of hard to, uh, <laughs> maybe you're not going to work as hard as he is because that's just the way that he is, but it's kind of hard to not pick up your level when you see the way that those guys are working. And it has been a work in progress. You know, I can remember talking to, and even if you go back and listen to their um, media availabilities after the stretch run under Bruce Boudreaux. There seemed to be a feeling amongst the players that they had figured something out, mm. right? That they, they, they figured it out and how they, they need to 
they need to work and how they need to how things need to happen in order for them to have success, the types of standards that they've set. And then they weren't able to carry it yeah. into the next season. Now, for whatever reason, did they get a little bit too ahead of themselves on how well they had done under Bruce Boudreaux? Was it held back by all of the extra that was going on around them? You know, yeah. the the lack of cohesion between management and coaching staff, and that trickled down to the players eventually. Whatever it was, they thought they had it, and they clearly didn't. And I think these different levels of failure, these different steps of failure along the way for guys like Pedersen and Hughes, especially the two franchise cornerstones mm -hmm. here, I think that has led them to this point where they didn't want to take no for an answer, so to speak. Yeah. Like the talent has never been the issue with this team. It was more well, how do we get everything else right in order to put ourselves in a position to succeed more often? Yeah, exactly. And I do think one of the things Ian Cole spoke to us about before the season began was you sometimes have to go through the losing. And at some point you get to the stage where you totally understand why you're where you're at and you know where the blame lies. And it yeah. lies within yourself, ultimately. Because if you're not doing the things that you need to do consistently, you're not going to win. And we've seen coaches come and go. We've seen different things come and go, happen. But one of the, the things that we've seen more than anything is each individual player taking real ownership of what they're doing on the ice compared to what we've seen in the past. Yeah. And a lot of that is, you know, the coaching staff coming in and doing it, but also getting the right guys in place. Also maturity to some extent. And that's why as much as we talk about bringing young guys in, and I'm all for it, you have to be careful with what you expect from them. Yeah. Look at how long it took these young guys here to figure stuff out. Now, it, it was also a very dysfunctional situation with, with the things that happened on and off the ice with this organization yeah, for many COVID years. Yeah, the COVID year and, again, uh, with the, the whole Boudreaux situation playing out. Yeah, and, and we know that, you know, Benning and his regime was here way too long. Yes. And, and what happened over that time and how things festered and everything. It wasn't a great overall environment, right? They've cleaned that out, but a lot of it was also due to the players themselves yes. finally getting out of that entitlement stage. And I think they've matured in, in a massive way. And you can't say enough good things about the group, but also just Quinn Hughes and, and what he's done this season. Uh, it is, you know, we're, we're sort of just past the midway point, right? Uh, the unofficial midway point, the all-star break, it always ends up being that. As There are other candidates for most valuable player on this team, but it feels like there's no way Quinn Hughes doesn't win most valuable player the way things currently sit. Yeah, I mean, it's it's him. Like, at least for, you know, the, the Canucks' own team awards. He yes. could win the Norris as well, of course. But for as good as Miller has been, as good as Pedersen's been, as good as Thatcher Demko's been, it's Quinn Hughes. And that's what the captain has brought to this team. He's brought a different level. And it's, it's refreshing to see how that's come about. But also... It kind of makes you wonder how much more is there for Quinn Hughes because he is 24 and every year it just seems like he's adding new elements to his game that take it to yet another level. And that's ultimately what the truest best of the best players in the league do. Yeah. And I mean, I wouldn't put it past them to keep developing his game. Like I wasn't sure that he could become a real goal scorer in the NHL. I'm like, hey, he doesn't really have much of a shot. 
you yeah. know, and maybe that's just not going to be part of his game. You yeah. know, it's really hard to all of a sudden get a good shot. Like, I can't express how difficult it is, it is to go from being a guy that maybe scores six, seven, eight, maybe nine mm-hmm. or so to being a guy that's almost a 20 goal score. Yeah. Well, being he'll, a he'll get to 15 this year, it seems like. Yeah, and maybe more, like who knows. But he's turned that into a strength of his game as a defenseman. Yeah. What other areas of his game is he going to turn to true strengths? I'm not putting it past him to get even better. Yeah, and uh, maybe fill out a little bit more, get even stronger defensively, although that narrative was always a little bit over the top that he doesn't play well defensively, and now he leads the league in plus-minus. So. Yeah, and I mean, the way he controls the game, too. Yeah. He's probably it's his best form of defensive. Yeah, I, I don't think any other player. I used to think Heiskanen controlled the game the best in the NHL. I think Quinn is that guy now. Yeah, that's why for for the longest time I'm like Heiskanen. Like as much as people talk about McCarr, he's number one. But like I got Heiskanen really close underneath in the next tier. He's like number one on that tier. To me, Quinn's number one on that tier now because of what he does. But Heiskanen was a guy that could just truly control the game. You know, like he controls what's what's going on on the ice. Like Quinn like a, does that. Yeah, like a great midfielder in soccer. Like the yeah. game moves in slow motion around them. Mm-hmm. And they control the pace of the game. That's what Quinn Hughes absolutely does. And he's brought a lot beyond just uh, great leadership as the captain of the Vancouver Canucks. I wanted to hit a couple texts real yep. quick, Reach. Uh, this one says, Harge from Surrey. Who would they add, though? Rick said the Canucks are not in on Vitrano. And also says, why don't you move JT to the wing and have Suter at center instead? But to me, you want to have two. You want to have a fast center. It's, like, yes. it's great that you have the pace with JT and down the middle. And ultimately, Suter, I think, is best suited to be a bottom six player. And that can move up your lineup if need be, not a staple there. So if you can upgrade it, that'd be great. Great question. Who Who's a fit? It's harder to find. We've gone through some names and some players. Vitrano the thing with Vitrano, we joked about it because, you know, Reach is a fan and everything. But the question always was, is he even going to be available? His yes. one more year left on his contract at a good number was just an all-star in Anaheim. What's the incentive for Anaheim to trade that player right now? And the cost would be very high. Well, Pat Verbeek, in his short time as general manager of the Anaheim Ducks, has set an expectation that he's going to be a shrewd negotiator. So I'm not sure the prices are going to be cheap for any Anaheim Duck. Look, I, I know I still like Vetrano. I've always known it was a small percentage chance, especially after the Lindholm deal. But it would cost a lot and maybe doesn't necessarily fit the bill for what the Canucks ultimately are looking for. But they could still very well use a forward, preferably a left winger that can at least add to their options of players they can use in one of those top six spots. Some pace, some, some forechecking. Like if, if Suter was actually a bit faster, yeah, and, and he's, he's a fine forechecker, don't get me wrong, but he's not like the, the prototypical first forward in with a lot of pace. Yeah. You know, if he was a little bit faster, a little bit heavier, I'd be like, it'd be fine. Like to me, it wouldn't be a concern. It's more about player type. Suter can do it. It's just, is, is he at his best being there? Uh, the answer still might be Thomas Novak. Tommy Novak. <laughs> Tommy Novak. My guy, Tommy Novak. As Sat has uh, mentioned in the past. <laughs> we'll see what the Canucks end up doing. Uh, for now, uh, the rumor mill will continue. And uh, we'll carry that torch forward with Dave Pinota. One of our favorites from the fourth period joins us next on Canuck Central.
Ducks. I'm Rachel and Satyar Shah here in the Kintex studio. Canada's favorite products provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet, what are you waiting for? Canuck Central is brought to you by Enzyme Pacific, Vancouver's premier Chrysler, Dodge, Ram, and Jeep Superstore on 2nd Avenue between Canby and Main or at EnzymePacificChrysler.ca. Uh, for this next segment, we go to our next guest. Is fourth period it is dave pinota we go to the dispatch plumbing heating and air conditioning hotline and welcome in our friend we're doing boys uh we're doing well canucks are in first place i don't know if you noticed so that's yeah <laughs> keeping keeping tabs on things out there yeah things are looking good yeah good vibes for everybody here yes yeah <laughs> nice change of pace over the last few years right? yeah no no kidding right it's yeah. uh it's been quite the turnaround and Hey, we know uh, it, it is rumor season, right? We're exactly one month out from the trade yep. deadline right now. And the Canucks made the first big move because, you know, that's what this front office does. They show everybody else how to make trades in the National Hockey League. And, um, yeah, there's there's news today or rumors today that Canucks are maybe poking around on Rasmus Ristolainen and maybe maybe Phil Kessel. Do you think the, the Canucks will still be busy ahead of the March 8th trade deadline? It sounds like it. Um, I, I can tell you with full certainty they spoke with the Flyers this week. Um, not just about Ristolainen. I believe Nick Sealer, Sean Walker into the the equation as well. I guess getting a feel for what the asking prices are for, for their defensemen. Certainly sounds like the Canucks would like to add on the blue line, whether it's a depth piece or something more impactful. Um, obviously, we'll, we'll wait and see. But, but certainly those conversations have happened. And again, um, as, as, as soon as, or as, as late as this, this week. Um, so I think it's more of the exploratory stage more than anything. Um, but you want to get a sense of, of what the, um, what the price tags are and are going to be over this, this next period. Uh, you know, they, they, they made their move, as you said, kind of getting things started. And we certainly thank them for that because it, it's escalated things, um, with, with the Linho move, but you want to keep tabs on, on the rest of the market. You want to see not only what, could be out there in terms of availability, but perhaps stick a wrench in, in some of your competition's plans as well. So um, they're, they're active. Whether they actually pull something else off, uh, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. But there's no question that Alvin and, and Rutherford are uh, doing their due diligence, no question. Sean Walker is an interesting name there because, you know, we mentioned a, a player like Ristolainen. The contract's so big. It's just a tough thing to kind of make work for Vancouver in their, unless they're moving somebody yep. out. Um, and as much as I think Nick Sealer's profile, I think the Canucks want a right-hand defenseman. And Sean Walker, right. with his salary and everything, it kind of comes in. But he's playing almost 20 minutes a game. He's had a really strong season. What's the asking mm-hmm. price there for a player like him, a righty defenseman at the deadline? Right now, the price that Danny Briere has put out there for uh, for Walker's a first round pick. Um, obviously, that's in Calgary right now. Mm-hmm. Um, they're they're looking at the equivalent and the other element to this with both Walker and my understanding Ristolainen as well is that Philly is willing to retain. Um, how much on Ristolainen? Because he does have some term left. Uh, I'm not entirely sure. I know they will be uh, or are willing to retain half of. Walker's contract, which makes him even that much more palatable and attractive mm-hmm. uh, to get him at, at a cap at under one and a half mil. So that, whether that's part of the first round pick equation or, or not, I'm not exactly sure. But I do know that in speaking to some other teams, they've all relayed that the asking price right now from Philly for Walker is a first round pick or equivalent. 
So if you're looking at something like that right now, that seems to be the price tag. But everything is kind of in a bit of a logjam right now with the guys in Calgary um, uh, until you know either Tanev or Hannafin move. It sounds like they're kind of creating this little um, pushback for the rest of the market because uh, they have Philly and, and a few other teams want to see what, what the Flames end up doing with those guys. Well, Tanev is um... – you know he's the top right shot guy on the market uh, as, yep. as far as rentals go and we know how uh reputable he is around the league a defensive defenseman like him pretty much every contender is going to want this player and uh, i just wonder if it's if it's going to happen sooner rather than later with tanev because it does seem like uh teams are, are really getting an itchy trigger finger on this player yeah, and and just this week right after all-star break toronto reengaged quite significantly dallas is reengaged um, as well on him, uh, we know the Canucks have been poking around for a bulk of the season to see what, uh, what, what what's happening in, in that respect. Uh, very curious. I mean, New Jersey's another team they have interest in both Tanev and Hannafin, um, along with Markstrom. So that that which that that's a whole complicated other situation. Um, but now Tampa, depending on what happens here with Mikhail Sergachev's injury and how long it's going to take for him to recover from a few fractures in his knee. Um, if it is the duration of the regular season, well, they're going to utilize that LTIR space, clearly. Uh, but is it a more mobile guy? My understanding is they want someone more mobile uh, and have been already looking for somebody there. But with that extra eight and a half, I think, is his cap hit, with that extra money, Tampa may, if if he is done for the season, Zergachev, Tampa may kind of shift things and, and become a significant player in the D market um, as well, and that could affect things. So there are definitely a lot of teams that, are circling in, have interest in Tanev. Um, and it, it, that, this one's going to be interesting. This could be a similar situation to what we saw. Obviously, you know, Lindholm kind of goes early, and then the, dom- the next domino is the next day with Sean Monaghan. It could be a similar situation here. If Tanev goes, is Walker next? Mm-hmm. Is it a guy like Labushkin? And so on. And that's what's going to be really fascinating now for a team like the Tampa Bay Lightning because they've spent so many assets as it is, but Stamkos is a free agent, um, mm-hmm. and you only have so many years left now with, with these guys getting to the age that they're getting. Is there any way they don't bolster their team? They want to. Um, I would be surprised if they don't in, in some fashion uh, because exactly to your point, how long is this window? And it's mm-hmm. not just Stammer, Stammer excuse me, that they got to worry about. Um, Victor Hedman has one more year on his contract after this year. So it's not only trying to figure out how the future looks potentially with or without Stamkos, it's how are you going to incorporate Hedman's next deal into this whole mix as well. Um, So, I mean, for them to kind of go all in with the group that they've got right now, I think that's what they'd like to do. It was challenging, certainly before the, the Sergachev injury, but this may free up a few different opportunities for them if he is done for the season, do they push hard for Hannafin? Do they try to, you know, Walker's another guy they have interest in. Do they go that route as well? So it, Julian Brees was going to be pretty busy. And I, I, again, as I said, I'd be surprised if they don't do something um, with Sergachev's injury. It could be something that kind of shifts the defensive market and may put other teams and other assets in play. Guys that have term like David Savard in Montreal, one year left on his deal. And that guy who's not a, uh, you know, he's certainly familiar with the trade market and the trade deadline and Jacob Chikrin in Ottawa. That's another name. Uh, Tampa without a first round pick in each of the next two seasons. So yeah, would be interesting to see how they, uh, how they fill the void of, of Mikhail Sergachev, uh, tough injury for him last night. Uh, so in my, um, 
I guess in my own personal like uh, trade watch list for the Canucks, like uh, what mm-hmm. I would like to see the Canucks do, maybe not necessarily all that plausible, but what I would like to see the Canucks do even beyond after acquiring Elias Lindholm, one of the players I'd circled for a while now, and I know he's on your trade trade targets list, uh, Frank Vetrano with the with the Anaheim yep. Ducks. You know, he's over 20 goals already this year. Has kind of become a guy that scores at least 20 every year. Has got some speed to his game. Just just how realistically is is he available from the Anaheim Ducks, who I think like this player quite a bit. They do, um, but given their situation, given their where they're at. Um, teams are calling and they're listening. Uh, but this is a scenario for a player that has another year left on his contract after this season um, where you're going to have to pay a pretty nice penny. It's going to be a premium to get this guy, not just from because he's been scoring goals, but because he does have that extra year on his contract. I mean, Anaheim's, their back's not against the wall. They don't have to move him. Uh, as you said, they like the player. There's no question. Uh, but as they're going through this rebuilding process, Henrique is going to be traded. Uh, Labushkin's going to be moved. Uh, if they can find somewhere for Silverberg, he's another guy that's that's out there. They're listening on Gibson um, and and Vetrano, and I'm sure they would listen on a few others. It's really going to come down to to that price. You're probably looking, my guess, and I don't know this definitively outside of a, a package that includes a first round pick, but I think the package is a three piece uh, uh, return for for Vetrano, effectively a first, the prospect, and an additional asset. Um, so it's, it's a hefty price, but given the marketplace, how there aren't that many offensive weapons necessarily readily available ahead of this deadline, if the Ducks can cash in, um, I think they would seriously consider doing it. And you're right about, I mean, it's a really thin trade market. It is a seller's market for anybody that has a player that's available. We keep waiting for names to become available that have not yet become available. And it seemed like, okay, for the longest time, Jake Gensel, he'll be a guy that probably gets moved by Pittsburgh. But the Penguins, all of a sudden, with the Flyers dwindling, their their numbers don't look bad. They have games in hand. Um, they can get going a little bit. It seems like they're just the power play getting hot away from perhaps getting back into the race, really. Is he even going to be available at the deadline, Jake Gensel? If they're in the thick of things, I don't think so. I think Kyle Dubas takes his chances um, with the player and, and waits till the offseason. Um, you know, he knows exactly what the ballpark is to get Gensel signed. This isn't a matter of Pittsburgh um, not wanting to keep the player. This is more of the player wanting to know what the direction of this team is going to be, not in the next year, not in the next two years. What happens three years plus down the line? Is this going to be a contending team? If he signs an eight-year extension, are we all of a sudden rebuilding in year three? And then there go the next five years. Um, So this is something he wants to know. And he doesn't really want to be distracted by that now. I know there were reports of, of an offer that was there. I checked in on that um, with both the player side and the team side, and, and they still have not talked. In, or, excuse me, they, should, they, they haven't negotiated. Um, the lines of communication are open, but in terms of actual negotiations, that still hasn't happened. Uh, and I think that's going to be pushed. I think the, the, the sense is let's just wait till the season's done and then get to it. If Pittsburgh remains in this race, I, I don't see a scenario unless they're completely blown away and it's an offer they can't refuse. I, I just don't see a scenario where, where they make that happen now. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons, or at least part of the reason, why Vancouver pivoted and focused their attention on Lindholm a couple of weeks ago versus 
versus Gensel, and I think a few other teams have followed suit. That the sense around the league is he's going to stay put as long as they're in the race. I think the uh, the first time we started talking about the Arizona Coyotes potentially moving out of Arizona, <laughs> I, I may have still been in high school. Like I, it's uh, it, yeah. it's been that long. Like we're talking, we're going on twenty years now, Pags, that this has been a story. The, the Spros were flowing still back then, but there was no Sambuca legally allowed in it. Yes. And yet, here we still are. And yeah. again, you know, uh, it felt like things were picking up. And there's all this talk about Salt Lake City. And now you're hearing more today out of, out of Arizona. Like, it, it doesn't sound like the Coyotes' ownership has any plans of, of selling and moving this team right now. And if that's the case, no. I don't think Gary Bettman's got much – choice but to sort of live with the situation right now in Arizona well if I mean it, it it all comes down to this this arena land situation um and that that they keep alluding is is on the horizon is about to be announced and it's, it's, I mean we've been waiting since December for this <laughs> yeah. and, and, uh, I mean even longer so um look here what I know of the situation is is you're right they, they don't want to sell and Salt Lake slash I guess Utah um, is there as a backup, but not the backup. Um, if things don't work out with this current group, the league will look to additional uh, groups, consortiums, whatever you want to call it, to keep this team in the market. Until they've exercised every option, going back to Atlanta and the Thrashers, until they've exercised every possible option in the moment, this team is staying there. Um, but yes, Salt Lake is ready. I mean, Salt Lake would take a team to start next season if they could. Uh, Atlanta almost there as well. Um, I wrote about this yesterday. Both of these teams, the league's going to 34, guys. The league's going to 34 mm -hmm. teams in the not-too-distant future. And if Arizona stays, Salt Lake and Atlanta will be the next two teams in the league. Um, it's happening. It's just a matter of, you know, having to go through the formalities and, and this, that, and the other and getting past the legal lawyer talk that the league will continue to spew out and I totally understand why but with respect to the Coyotes until they've exercised every possible option the league will go to the groups that that were in the running for Ottawa and they'll go to some of the other groups that have interest in some of the other markets and say hey how about instead of that why don't we put you guys together and keep this team here but until Morello and his group are, are willing to entertain that it's it, I mean it's, it's their group and, and they're going to wait it out so it's it's a head scratcher. Um, I hope it works out because I love the market, um, but we're we're still in waiting mode. And uh, I mean, I, I wish there was more to it, but everybody's kind of just waiting and, and wondering how this is how this is going to happen. But um, in terms of overall, there still seems to be confidence they're going to stick there. There's, there's confidence they're going to figure that out. Um, and at the last possible moment, if they can't that's where Salt Lake City comes into play. But my understanding is the league prefers expansion for that market as well as Atlanta. We'll wait and see. Uh, if you want to put a little uh, bit of Sambuca in your Spro tonight before the Canucks uh, take on the Boston Bruins, by all means, you've got the green light. <laughs> Thank you. I'll, I'll have a few. Yeah. Uh, thanks for this, Pags, as always. You got it. Take care, guys. Uh, there he is, Dave Pinota, the fourth period, joining us here on Canucks Central. The stuff on the flyer is interesting, right? Um, maybe retain. It's, it's interesting Walker. that Ristolainen came out, and Pags's information is yeah, they weren't just asking about Risto. No, it was. I mean, it makes sense. They they call in, they check yeah. in. Risto's name comes up. I mean, we know the Canucks do 
due due diligence on yeah. pretty much every single player that's available, right? And it's like, okay, so Risto is available. You're ready to retain. You're ready to retain half. What's the cost of that? Like, what do you want for the player if, if this is what you want? And that just gives you an idea. They, they may look at it and say, okay, so we we might be, hypothetical here, right? We might be able to get Rasmus Ristolainen, righty defenseman for yeah. our third pair at 26 at 2.55 million because yeah. he's a 5.1 because they're willing to retain half and it's going to cost us a third round pick. Let's just say for argument's sake. Yeah. It's like, okay, let's put that aside. That's an option for us, yeah. right? Like we'll see how everything else goes. Is that something we want to explore potentially? Because if you go down the list of your, say, um, top targets, where would he rank? Would he be like option D or something? I'm just hypothetically speaking here. So yeah. sometimes when we hear the team checking in, it's not because it's a front burner issue. It's about getting a lay of the land. Sean Walker to me actually makes sense because of his salary, but if they want a first round pick, I just don't, I just don't see the Canucks trading away another first round pick. Yeah, especially for a rental. Yeah, um, that would be. It just doesn't make a ton of sense. They have a need. I mean, of course, you'd love to add a righty defenseman. Yeah, who wouldn't? A top four righty defenseman. But is it such a big need where you have to, where you feel like you have to trade another first round pick to, yeah. to do it? I'm just not sure it's there. Yeah, and then, you know, you're, then you're looking at your 2025 first round pick, and it would have to be lottery protected. So, and then what happens? And then let's say you do all that. Yeah. And now, like, you're going to be in the Leaf situation in a year or two. Where you're like, I got nothing left to trade. Nothing left to trade. You right. don't want that either. So. There's there's a world where, you know, maybe the Canucks find a, a trade that makes sense for them to do that or one of their higher-end prospects, but it's just not a likely world we're living in no. <laughs> right now. It would have to be a, a really impactful player for them to do something like that and probably somebody with a little bit of term for them to do something like Precisely. that. Precisely. If you're getting somebody that's going to be here for a few years, yeah, then yeah, I can see them trading maybe even their best prospect. Right. I don't think they're afraid of doing things like that, but how often is a player going to be available that's that caliber that you're right. willing to do it for? And it doesn't seem to be available right now maybe that changes but that's the thing it could also be um you know checking in and seeing the prices it let's say you do have an injury at least you know like okay if we need to go out and get somebody else because of something unfortunate happening we know what what the cost is going to be what the lay of the land looks like and also what other teams might be paying to get something like this from somebody else like you're just you know, trying to keep in touch with everything that's going in or going on around the league. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, I guess there is room for them to add a lefty and a righty, right? right? I mean, especially if you have injuries and everything like that. But I think the preference would be to have a right-handed defenseman, wouldn't would it not? It probably would be, yeah, because because yeah. you already added Zadorov on the left side, so you've got four NHL caliber left side guys. Yeah, you have a couple of guys down in the minors too yeah. that you know, can play the left side a little bit. There's nobody really available for the right side. It's just Noah Juleson. Yeah. And Juleson makes it three. Mm-hmm. And Friedman's there too. But again, like, if, I think you want to upgrade on him. Friedman is a depth defenseman. And uh, if the Canucks are going to be uh, shopping for another D-man, maybe uh, it is an interesting one. But uh, I would maybe um, pump the brakes on wondering if the Canucks are about to acquire Rasmus Ristolainen after today's rumor mill picking up once again but we did hear a new name pop up i'm a, I'm always appreciative of new names hitting the trade market yes so um 
always always new names uh, showing up and giving us uh, something to to figure out if it could be possible for the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, Dave Pinota joined us on the Dispatch Plumbing Heating and Air Conditioning Hotline. The first call, the only call. Coming up, we get into the pregame. It's the Canucks and it's the Bruins here on Canucks Central and Sportsnet 650. Thatcher Demko, your netminder for Vancouver. He apparently apologized to Jeremy Swayman today for oh, he did? Huggate, according to Bruins Media. Now the Canucks can just go out there and win. We'll see. We'll figure it out. They've got a 14-game point streak on the line. The pregame is next on Canucks Central.